The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm not a highly trained professional, so. Good morning. How's everybody? You are really, you know, I never get to see everybody from this angle before. You are a great looking group of people. I'm just, this is kind of cool. So, uh, Bill started us on a course last week of eternal mindsets. So, kind of branching off that today, we're going to talk about a piece of that, I think. Um, I'm not a theologian. I will, from time to time, do that. I mean, for some reason, my brain is shorting out, and I'll be right back with you, okay? <laughs> so this morning, we're going to talk about um, what I've learned in the last few years. The Word says, we feed our enemy with two things. Whew. Number one. The blood of Christ. Number two, the word of our testimony. So this morning uh, is more of a testimony than anything else. Some of you know my wife, Maria. Some of you don't. Um, she is a, probably one of the most loving individuals God has ever created. Um, And about 10 years ago, was diagnosed with, with a very early onset of Alzheimer's disease at a type that's very, very aggressive. And is currently um, in a memory care center. And sometimes she knows us and sometimes she doesn't. So it's been a, it's been a great opportunity um, for one or two things to happen from my side. And it's the same situation for all of us as we face ridiculous things that happen in our lives. Whether we were abused as children, deserted, our loved ones have had help. <clears throat> terrible diseases, our children, brothers, sisters have made horrible life decisions and gone to places we could never imagine the horror that their lives are coming into. We all come to one place of decision. Am I going to trust or not? So deciding to trust brings you to, now what do I do? How do I get from point A to point B? <laughs> There's a process. This process, to me, is called restoration. So let's just take a look at restoration today. We're going to talk about three main things, what it is and what it is not, who is eligible and for what, and then we're going to speak about the process itself. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. So this is audience participation. Um, I have a tendency to mutter, and I have a tendency to go down rabbit trails. So if I'm doing either one of those things, please signal, you know, something. Okay? Right? Okay. So let's look at definitions first. 
First, we're going to go to Webster's, and then we're going to go to Strong's, okay? So, Webster's has three. Bring back to a former position or condition. Making restitution. So, if I've stolen something, I've got to return it to you or pay for it. Or if I've been using something that was yours and I break it, I've got to give it back to you in its original condition. Or return to an unmarred or improved condition, i.e. wreck your car, you expect them to restore it back to where it was. Interestingly enough, Strong's comes up with about the same number. Um, if, if you're interested in the numbers, get with touch with me afterwards, I'll give them to you. Um, so return to a starting point. Where was the beginning? You know, that's one of the things that is in one of the letters to the churches, you know, but you've gone away from where you started. Make alive to give life. This is an interesting phrase, to nourish up. Have you ever had the flu, that kind that gets into your bottom half, and you don't eat for days, and then you finally get better, and you try and eat something, and you just get sick? So you got to start with broth, and then broth and crackers that, that nourish up, get back to strength little bits at a time. To bestow, to give, to pay, to come back, to answer, to return. And interestingly enough, in the New Testament, those are all from the, from the First Testament. The Second Testament, interestingly enough, only has one meaning. And it starts with to reconstitute in health, home, or organization. To reconstitute in health, home, or organization. And I find it interesting that it uses the term to reconstitute. Anybody ever had instant mashed potatoes? Yeah? Right? How do you reconstitute instant You put water in them, right? Who is the living water? Christ. Just, I thought that was kind of interesting. Ah, so we're restored to righteousness through that. So that's kind of our definition. So our second point is going to be who is eligible? Easy one. Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. We're going to start kind of in the middle of 20. It says, Be reconciled to God, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the word there that we need to focus on is not righteousness, but that we might be made. We do not have to stand in righteousness before our God. It is an option. We have the right to do so. We do not have to be children of God. We're given the right to do so. It's an amazing concept. You have the right to claim your place as a child of God or not. You have the right to stand righteously before your God or not. So I'm hoping that in this room, we're all standing before our Lord as his children in righteousness. That is the gift of salvation. It costs us nothing. Absolutely nothing. And sets us completely free. So what is it and what is it not? It seems that in most people, the desire for restoration of either a relationship or a business or their finances or their health comes from some sort of pain. 
And that's just kind of a common origin. And the question is, what do we do with the pain? Um, in the natural, we withdraw from pain. If it burns our fingers, we take our hands from the stove. Uh, if it's people, we reject them and we put up an emotional barrier to them or to that situation and say, I'm never going to let that hurt me again. Or we could ignore it. My, my parents used to tell a story. <laughs> they were early married and my, my mom and dad were sleeping and some, my mom heard something and she elbows my dad and he wakes up and she says, I'm hearing noise in the living room. And he lovingly and protectively says, shh, it'll go away. <laughs> so we ignore it. Or we can actually, actually seek some type of restoration. So restoration is not magic. Um, we kind of tend to think that way. We don't put that label on it. Oh, I wish this would go away. Oh, God, make this go away usually doesn't work. Sometimes it does. Sometimes God goes, okay, that's, I know it's the very best you can do, child, and we're going to take care of that. And then the next time, we're going to teach you something else. That's all cool. It's all good. But it's not magic. Let's look at, just take a minute and go over something that we all know, and that is, what is magic? Magic exists. The supernatural exists. If you choose to worship it, you will derive something from it, whether it's a chair or a frog or a golden idol. You're going to get something from it. The supernatural exists. So magic is the intentional use of supernatural power to achieve something that we want without regard for the consequences that we will occur. It's completely selfish. And it's what we call witchcraft. Witchcraft is defined as rebellion against God. So will it work? Might. We've all heard of Arthur and Merlin, right? All that, the, all that stuff. Merlin the, the wizard and all that. If you're interested, there's a wonderful book called The Crystal Cave. Uh, it's one of a trilogy, and it's probably one of the best examples of the cost of magic that you can read, even though it's a work of fantasy, fiction. Um, the experience I've had with people who were involved in Wicca, uh, who were involved with Druism, uh, it's pretty true. They always pay a price. In the Word, we hear this God called Balaam, and people worshiped him, and one of the ways they did was they took their children, their own children, and they threw them into a fire. I want you to just go with me with your imagination for a minute. And this is a terrible place to ask you to go, but please bear with me for just a moment. Your most loving child, at the very moment, they're the cutest in, the, in their infant life. And by your act of your will, you throw them into a burning pit. Because you think it's going to make your life that much better. I just can't help but wonder, when every time I read these terrible stories... How many moms jumped in after that baby when that baby started screaming? How many families were destroyed from this worship ceremony? Witchcraft carries a terrible, terrible price. So maybe there's another choice. 
So for these folks who, who go down that way, and, we, and you know, idolatry and witchcraft carry a lot of different different looks. We all, you know, we, many of us have gone down those roads one way or another. So the good news is, the word says the blood of Christ and only the blood of Christ can cleanse the souls of man. So if for some reason, there's still something hanging on in the guilt locker, kick it out. It has no right to be there. You can choose not to honor that. All right, so what restoration is? I have to read this because I have almost no memory, so y'all forgive me. The process of bringing God's involvement into our damaged situation to see changes that will repair the damage and bring back full function to the damaged piece of our lives. To bring peace to our souls. This process is not free. There is a cost. We pay that cost by laying down false beliefs and picking up righteous ones. So let's look at some of these, some of these areas. We've already talked about a number of them. First of all, let's make sure that we're we're kind of, so this, this scripture came to me about 1.30 in the morning in a trailer I was living in while I was working in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, you know, like most testimonies, we always start at the bottom, right? <laughs> uh, I really didn't see anything changing. The, the future I saw was just nothing but darkness, and I'm just crazy, and this scripture literally popped into my head, and I looked it up, and I was shocked. And it's, quote, it's just the New King James Version, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. Did you catch that? Proverbs 10.3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. As you can tell, it's been a long time since I've been hungry. Long time. But there are many of us, probably in this room, who grew up, and you know what hunger is. Those of us who don't, we're thankful. But to the extremes, we look at places like prisoner of war camps, and we see what has happened to people when they're not properly nourished. Their bodies begin to destroy themselves to try and keep alive. Their muscle strength goes to nothing. Their mental abilities diminish. Their hope almost disappears. And so if we want to go that way and stay hungry, we can. I don't know why we would. God does not agree with that. Remember, he's the one that said he will not allow it. So if we're in that pit, that's not where God wants us. We're there because we've made choices either usually out of ignorance because we don't know. In my case, I didn't know I had another choice. It gets worse. I thought I was suffering through Christ. Right? It's not my word. He says, you're going to have a rough time. It's going to suck for you here from time to time. Maybe not exactly that word, but it means that. You're going to have all kinds of things come up against you. 
And then he says, don't sweat it, I got you. I'd forgotten that I got you part. I thought I was just supposed to suffer and he was going to get me through it. And you can do it that way if you want. Don't do it, I'm telling you. There's another way. It's called restoration. So since God will not allow our souls to famish, then we have two choices. Stay there or stop suffering. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Wait a minute, let's, let's just skip that for a second. Let's talk about concept. What if inside suffering there is great temptation? What if, that, what if that is a true thing? What if inside suffering, right, there is great temptation? Great temptation to what? Isolate ourselves, deny God's presence, diminish God's power in our minds and his ability. So again, we're going to, you know, we looked at some of those problem things, you know, abandonment, abuse, betrayals. They go on and on and on and on and on. So if we choose to go down a path of restoration, then we have some steps to take. Natural and obvious we've talked about. Every one of them continues to give us pain and persist and will become multi-generational. How many people know people that have families like my family? My dad deserted his kids. I deserted kids. My dad was a drunk. I was a drunk. It may not be in your families, but it's in mine and it's in a lot of other families. Well, that stopped with me. Thank you, Jesus. What's the result? My children are better than I was. It's pretty simple. What if it's your child that's a problem? What if, what if it's your brother, your sister, your mom or dad that is the problem? What if they've chosen a lifestyle that is just repulsive to you? And there's lots of them out there. Just pick the one that you know, bothers you the most and focus on that for a second. They become whatever it is that, you, that you dread them becoming. In the New Testament, Christ says an incredible thing. He said, I, I didn't come to change the law. I, I came to fulfill it. So when you go put in a prescription, right, and you put it in, and then when you get the stuff, it's been filled, right? So you don't go back and ask for more because the, it's already been fulfilled, right? And yet we continue to go to Christ say, saying, save us, save us, save us. He already did that. All that's done. We now operate under two laws. Love God. Love your neighbors. So if our responses to these pains in our life don't fit those two categories, we need to change. It's very difficult not to reject your child when they've gone a horrible direction that you know is going to bring them pain. Can you support them in their lifestyle choice? Well, let's look at the word support. In our culture, support means complete acceptance and telling them it's okay. God never once has told me that the things that I used to do and still sometimes do are okay. Not one time. He said, I love you. 
if you'll give that up, as much as that might hurt you, you're going to be a lot better off. I love you. You're welcome in my house. When you come to my house, everybody in my house is going to love you. Just like in this place. So if we're not doing that to these people that hurt us, we're hurting ourselves. And we're not following one of the two rules we have to follow. Is God going to love us? Yes. Is he going to be able to bless us all he wants to? No. Just like I don't get, didn't give my 12-year-old the keys to the car when she said, I can drive. I've been watching you do it all these years. Same thing. No, you don't get the keys. All right. You guys are awfully quiet. Okay. Give me just a second to catch up my notes. I can talk faster than I can read. So they consider with restoration is what is it going to cost me? Now, there are two types of restoration. There's voluntary restoration and there's involuntary restoration. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, one of my favorite scenes in the New Testament, um, the Pharisees have been jacking with, with Jesus and they were, they were talking about his disciples walking through this field of wheat on a, sun, on a Sabbath day and they grab some wheat and eat it. Well, that was, you know, a big, big no-no. And so Christ got their mind straightened up on that. And he walks into the synagogue, and there's this guy standing there with a messed up hand, right? And the Pharisees are still, still on him. And without blinking an eye, so to speak, he just says, you know, if one of your sheep fell into a hole on a, on a Sabbath day, wouldn't you go get the sheep out? And they say, well, of course we would. He walks over to this guy and says, stretch out your hand. The guy does it. His hand is restored. Hallelujah. He didn't ask for it. He didn't go to synagogue expecting to have his hand restored. We don't know how long he'd live with that hand like that. It could have been decades. He's probably changed his whole life from the time of the injury. He's quite fine doing what he's doing. He just minded his own business and went to synagogue. Then this guy comes in. Pharisees are all over this guy. He's probably looking like everybody else. Like, what's the deal? And this guy, the Pharisees are jumping on, says, stretch out your hand. The guy goes, probably kind of half-heartedly, oh, sure, yeah, right. You know, he's probably thinking, well, okay, I'm gonna, he, he, this won't happen. He'll put an end to this, and then we'll get back to church. Well, it happened. And church probably went crazy. That's involuntary. The lady at the well. Right, a little Samaritan lady, living a life of shame in her, in her own town, has to get water in the middle of the day because there's nobody else there. They're not going to make fun of her, not going to throw rocks at her, not going to call her terrible names. She's just doing what she does every day, hiding out, living her life. Jesus shows up. Just, just Jesus. He already sent the other guy somewhere else. He opens up a can of worms on her that she's not ready for. Everything she's ever done, the reason she did it, she is like, she suddenly realizes who this is. And he, even, and he tells her, I'm, I'm the living water. Take a sup of me and you never want for the rest of your life. Wow, this is awesome. So she runs back into town. She tells everybody she knows. All of a sudden, her life involuntarily is transformed, is restored. Because now she brings the prophet to this town of people that had rejected her. What do you think their opinion of her just did? It changed. Because the power of God was so evident in her life. 
She never asked for that. She had done what many of us do, accept the failures of her life and make the best of every situation. And for that, you have to salute her courage and her stamina, and I do. But God said, out of all the people in the world that I could express myself to, I'm choosing you. Pretty cool. So there are, there are multiple illustrations of that, that type of thing. You know, one of the ones we all like to talk about is the demoniac, right? There's this naked madman who's breaking chains and running around and raising all kinds of heck in the countryside. And he runs up to Jesus, and Jesus goes, and this legion of demons come out of this man, and he wakes up from this demonic fog he had been in for we don't even know how long, and his life has changed forever. We never know what happens to him. He just, you know, we, we don't know. He just he lives his life out. He didn't ask for all that, but God is just that good. So that's one form. The other form is the one we're all more familiar with, and that's the voluntary. Oh, God, save me from fill in the blank yourself. And God says, okay, what are you willing to do? What's your part? Because the only part of this whole Christian walk that is free, as far as I can see, is salvation. Everything after that costs something. It costs us giving up our free will. It costs us giving up our energy or our time. It costs us giving, us giving up our opinions and bringing our minds into what the Word says is the renewing of our minds through the washing of the Word so that our thoughts line up with His thoughts. Our likes are His likes, His hates are our hates. That kind of thing. If I seem lost, I probably am. Um, and so that becomes voluntary. So what do you have to give up to enjoy the gift of restoration? If we look at these things that happen in our life, these things that steal our peace and our joy, then we need to know what's going to return that. And the Word says, in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And the peace of God will come upon you and give you rest. There's a lot there. So we're not giving thanks for the terrible things that are happening. We're giving thanks that one of his names is, I will make a way when there is no way. I will make a way when there is no way. Incredible. Another one of his promises is, no matter what you're faced with, I will provide you a, a means of escape. He does not caveat that with, I will take you to the door and point you in the right direction. We have to seek that escape. So, what does supplication look like? I personally hate supplication. You may love supplication. If you do, God bless you, and I think it's wonderful. Supplicants is the origin of attorneys. If you were a landowner living under the rule of a king, and you wanted something, and you weren't real sure the king would go for it, as a matter of fact, you felt that he might have a terrible reaction to it, you would send a supplicant. And a supplicant would come before the king, and they would bow down 
on their knees, which I'm not going to do because it's too funny to watch me get up. And they would stick out their neck so that if the, as they presented their subject, so that if the king were displeased, he could easily chop off his head. That's supplication. Which you may do with this request exactly as you please. I will respect your authority. I will respect your decision. If it causes me issue, I'll come talk to you about it. But I'm not going to rebel against it one more day. So we go there. We take our prayers of complication. The Holy Spirit is a living, breathing creature. Lives with us every day. It is the gift that Christ died for us to receive. It is the gift. Everything else is a manifestation of that gift. So the Holy Spirit says, that mom who beat you with the, with the lamp and the ashtray and whatever she get in her hand and kicked you when you got on the floor, you got to forgive her. But I don't have a relationship with her anymore. I, I didn't say anything about a relationship. You have to forgive her. But I don't want to forgive her. She doesn't deserve forgiveness. Doesn't matter. I got to pay the cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not instantaneous. Most of you already know this. You may have to say it over and over and over and over. And it goes something like this. Lord God, it's an act of my will. I forgive, in this case, this example of my mother for beating me relentlessly as a child. I release her from all my judgments. I bless her with your greatest blessing, and I let her go free. And you do that till it stops hurting when you do it. On every single issue. All right, so we get through that. Now what? Healing. Here's a, here's a favorite. You know, we've been going through this little thing I've told you about for a while. People with long-term diseases, life-threatening diseases, you know, once we get past the, the situation saying, why, 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 and get down to how do we fix it, we can't. We have to trust God that his decision will be correct, even if it's terrible from our standpoint. And continue to ask him, this is what I would like. You make the decision. I'm a supplicant. I'll accept it. I won't rebel against it. And I will continue to respect your authority. Don't like that. But it does bring you peace when you finally get to where you really mean the words. And yes, you can say the words and not mean them. Because we are judged by the intent of our heart. Not my word. Look it up. If the intent of my heart is to change my thinking, to renew my mind so that my thinking lines up with the Lord's thinking, then even if I don't feel like it, when I speak it, it begins to happen. It begins to activate. Sometimes God gives us exactly what we ask for. Sometimes he does not. So what happens if we get what we ask for? Probably another one of my favorite stories. You, and you all know this. The guy's at the well, right? He's got bad legs. Every day he tries to get in the water when the angel's there. He just can't get there. 
which was on for some time. We don't know exactly know how long. Jesus is literally cruising, cruising down the street, got his little mob, you know, the first century paparazzi are following him and stuff. He sees this happening. Okay. So he heals the guy. He restores his legs. I'm sure the guy's pretty excited. So then what does Christ tell him to do? Pick up your mat and go on your way. We don't know what happened to this guy either. I've often wondered, did he have a plan? You know, his only skill, his only job that we know about was he was a beggar. He laid there, looked pathetic, and people gave him money. Now that's been taken from him. He probably didn't have a family, because if his family had been around, they'd help him get in the water, right? Wouldn't you help your family get in the water? Well, most heads nod, and some are like, I don't know, for sure. I got family like that, too. I think I'm probably that member of the family, as a matter of fact. So we don't know what happens to it, but the first thing God tells us is clean up your mess and take off. Get out of here. Go live your life. So the same thing that the guy they they put down through the, through the ceiling around the stretcher, so now pick up your bed and go home. Do we know if these people had any plans for afterwards? I don't know. What are you going to do? What's your plan? If God says, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I've been looking into the world, and we're going to make this happen for you. Boom. Now what? So as we're, as we're asking for restitution, restoration, let's begin to think about what happens next. Give me a vision, God. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. Help me prepare my family in a gentle way for what if this actually does happen. You know, for the longest time, you know, I, I believed that my wife was going to be the first survivor of Alzheimer's. Had it all planned out. We're going to get on every talk show in the world. We're going to be on the fronts of every gossip magazine in the world. We're going to make millions. We are going to have so much fun when this is over. Hasn't happened yet, but I got a plan. Is it a selfish plan? Absolutely. God gives me a present, I'm going to enjoy it. But what if he doesn't? What if she's not? Then we love God. And we continue to live. We don't give up. We don't blame God. We don't blame ourselves. Which if you have someone with a a, a life-threatening diagnosis, there are things that you do. Even though it doesn't make any rational sense whatsoever. We don't do those things. We just go on. So restoration is a promise of God. It's the desire of his heart to not see our souls famish. It's accessible. It's easy to get to if you're willing to pay the price to do so. If you're willing to give up your self-will, if you're willing to give up what you want versus what God knows is right, to think about what God has to go through to perform a miracle is a mind-bending experience. Let's just say, for whatever reason, God were to heal my wife this morning. What would have to happen 
for that to happen. He's sitting up there watching this, this whole thing unfold. He's watching the, the multiple choices that each one of us can make, preparing to do the best thing for us in every situation to bring us back into the plan for our life that he has. And suddenly, he says, you know what? I've been listening to this guy come at me day after day after day. I'm tired of hearing his whiny, nasal voice. I'm going to do this. If no other reason is to hush him up, like the judge in the, the parable. Okay. So in order to do that, he's got to bend all these other things around. I don't know how many things point. How many people do you know? Friends, relatives, people you work with. All those people are going to be affected. Multiple generations are going to be affected. I've got an unborn grandson. He's going to be affected. He's going to have a grandmother where he wouldn't have had one before. How is that going to alter his life? It goes on and on and on and on and on. So when we're asking for these things, we're asking for incredible, incredible things that only God can do. And if he does them, we need, should be prepared to live our best life with, those, with that gift or without so this morning, if you're wrestling with these kind of restoration ideas, um, God is here, and he would like to help direct you on the path wherever you're at. Uh, if there's something specific, Bill's right here. Um, I know he'd be happy to pray with you. If it's a couple and you have an issue together, there's a sticky wicket in that. And if one of you's got an issue, the other one's got one too, because you're one thing. When you can't be sick, you're both sick. When you can't be in pain, you're both in pain. We have a couple here that I'm sure they'd be happy to pray with you. I know this is a silly thing to say from, the, from up here, but has anybody got anything burning that they want to say or ask or anything? Seriously, it's time to do it. Anybody? <laughs> Thank you, Doug. That's, that was a good word, was it not? A challenging word. Restoration, transformation. You know, we're we're all on a on a on a traveling journey. Some people don't like that word journey, you know, but but we are. We're 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 here and we're going somewhere. And along the way there's things that happen, just like what Doug was saying, and and we need to lay those out before the Lord and and actually before one another, and allow God to take some of that stuff out of our life and restore us and transform us, that we can become what he has actually called us to be and to do. Every one of us has gifts and callings that God has placed within us. And we need to tap into those things. And the only way you do that is to get into that book, into the Word of God, and find out what He has for you. There are so many examples of, of restoration and transformations all the way through the Word of God. It's just like a string. You can just pull on one end of it, and it goes from beginning to end. And it's all about Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And what that purchased for us, all of this, transformations and restorations, salvation, it's, it's all, salvation is all-inclusive. But beyond that, 
It's like what Doug said. We have to be willing to reach out and take that into our lives. And in some cases, pay for it. Sometimes in surrender, sometimes in giving up, in giving away. But in the long run, it'll place us right exactly where God wants us for this moment in time to be a blessing to him that he can bless others through us. Okay? Let's all stand. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who paid it all, who gave it all up just for us, just for me, that we could have the right to claim our place as child of God. We honor you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the word spoken in us and through us, Lord, that it would work miracles in each of us in those little ways that would touch our lives and help us to touch the lives of others for your glory and your honor. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.